0: I'm going to invite you, if you have your Bible, to open with me to the book of Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. And we're going to be going through this series of Nehemiah as we look through chapter 1 tonight with the title of the message, Rebuilding the Walls. If you like taking notes, write that down as the title of tonight's message Rebuilding the Walls. If you've ever read the book of Nehemiah, you know that it has a theme, a constant theme, and where Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem and you see that it goes from ruins to restoration. And Nehemiah is one of the greatest leaders in the Old Testament that comes on the scene here to Jerusalem. In a time of trial, in a time of crisis, in a time where leadership is required and demanded, and we're going to talk a lot about leadership through this chapter and through the several chapters of Nehemiah. And I want to encourage you and let you know that we are all in leadership. You might not think you are, whether you think you are or not, you are in leadership because we all have influence to some capacity, and we're called to lead. In fact, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let the world see your good works and and, and let them look to the Father and glorify the Father that's in heaven. And yes, as we're called to lead others to Christ, you are in leadership, but ask yourself the question tonight is leadership in me? Is leadership in you? Do you have vision? Every leader must have vision for what God's called him to do. But not only vision, also passion to be able to carry on that vision. Not only do we ask God to give us vision, but also give us passion to carry on that vision and also holiness, because holiness gives us the character to lead others to a place that God has called us to. And finally, also faith. You see that Nehemiah, his life is filled with faith. And you start to notice that true leadership is not scared of change because they are people, true leaders are people that have vision and they have forward-looking faith. Not scared of change because we have vision and we have forward-looking faith to what God wants to do. Now, Nehemiah was not a priest. He wasn't a prophet, but he was a man with a calling, a man with a burden, and his name means the Lord comforts. The Lord comforts. How many of us here need the comfort of the Holy Spirit in our lives tonight? You see, Nehemiah's name means the Lord comforts because he is a type of the Holy Spirit that comes in now into Jerusalem to comfort the nation of Israel now and the Jewish people and to see restoration, to see renewal, to see reconstruction and to see revival take place. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We see that take place in his life as he's a leader with boldness, a leader with faithfulness, a leader with commitment and discipline and courage. And you see even through the book of Ezra and then Nehemiah that it has a constant theme of the hand of God. What is it that we need today? We need the hand of God in our lives, the hand of God in our families, the hand of God in your marriage, the hand of God in our church and in our ministries. Too often we look for the hand of man to rescue us, to redeem us, to save us. But what we need truly is the hand of God in our lives. Right here specifically, Jerusalem was in ruins. They had been in captivity to Babylon for 70 years. They were in bondage to the enemy, living in hostage, living in fear. And the situation was critical. Ezra was called to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And for 90 years, the temple had no protection now because the walls of Jerusalem were broken down. Not only was this dangerous now, but it can cause a lot of damage. And notice this, that restoration with no protection is not real restoration. Is there protection in your life right now? Because the Holy Spirit, as you were born again, has freed you now from the power of sin, from the power of fear, from the power of doubt. And it's called you to rise up and to build what has been torn down. <laughs> I wonder how many of us today are called tonight to rise up and to build what has been torn down by the enemy. We're called to build what the enemy has come and tried to rob and to kill and to destroy. It's interesting because when we read here the history of the Jewish people and the nation of Israel, that some of them were comfortable and they were stuck in Babylon. <laughs> And King Cyrus said, all the Jews, you can go back home and rebuild. And some of them stayed in Babylon. Then Ezra went again and took them out to Jerusalem, but some stayed in Babylon. I want to encourage you today that you are not called to live in Babylon. You are called to live in the presence of God. Now, Nehemiah recognizes the need. He knows there's still people that need to be reached. He's a visionary leader, and he's passionate about advancing the kingdom of God. He's highly motivated for the job, even if it's going to require difficult circumstances. He's going to face criticism. He's going to face discouragement. He's going to face opposition. But I want to encourage you today, if you want to be a leader, if you don't want to be criticized, then just don't be a leader. Go be something else. (laughs) Because when God's called you to do something, you will face opposition. You will face discouragement. This is why in Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah does the most important thing that we ought to do, and that's go into prayer. Did you know that prayer is the most attacked area of your life? In fact, no Christian is stronger than his or her prayer life. I want you to take that in. No Christian is stronger than his or her prayer life. And you must be walking close to God in prayer. Because the enemy, especially in the times that we're living in, wants to discourage you, wants to disqualify you, wants to destroy you now. And God is looking for men and women in the hour of trial with character, with integrity, men and women that have been in prayer. You know why? Because nothing works, only God works. Only God works. And it was the leadership of one man that stood in the gap and led to the revival of the nation. Are you going to be that one man tonight? Are you going to be the one woman tonight that stands in the gap for your family? God hasn't called you to live in defeat. God hasn't called you to live in bondage. God's called you to live in victory. But please pay attention to this church. Victory always comes at the expense of brokenness. Victory always comes at the expense of brokenness because brokenness is the gateway to revival. Brokenness is the stepping stone to blessing. Are you broken today at the need? I I pray that, that tonight we wouldn't be those that settle with living in the victories of yesterday when God has called you to rise up and build today. Too many Christians today are living off of what God had done in the past. They're living off the anointing of yesterday when God wants to give you a fresh supply today. You know why people of vision who or people who lack vision are looking back to what God did yesterday? Because they're lacking that one thing, faith. Faith to step into what God wants to do today. It's been said before, if you want to see things you've never seen, you have to be willing to do things you've never done. If you don't do anything different tonight, nothing's going to change, church. The problem is not with the culture. The problem is with the church not being the church. The first church began and was born in a prayer meeting, and that's why it was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Nehemiah here, the Lord comforts, or Yahweh comforts, is used because of his obedience now, And he goes from a cupbearer to a wall builder and then to a governor. And he has a heart for God. He has a heart to reconstruct. He has a heart to rebuild. He has a heart for revival. He has a heart for restoration. He has a heart for renewal here. And from chapter 1 to 6, you see the reconstruction of the wall. How many of us here need to reconstruct the walls in our home? Chapter 1 through 6, the reconstruction of the wall. From chapter 7 to chapter 13, you see the reinstruction of the people. The reinstruction of the people. Now let's read Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. It says this The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel. The I, one of my brethren, came with the men of Judah, and I asked, circle the word asked, them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The walls of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire." So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and I mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you for this book of Nehemiah, God. A man, Lord, with vision, a man that had passion, a man that didn't compromise in the area of holiness. This was a man of faith. And I pray, Lord, that you would rise us, men and women, to the occasion that we not only would be leaders, but we would be leaders that are birthed out of prayer. That you would break the hearts that need to be broken tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And together the church said. So you see here, in the very first verse of Nehemiah chapter 1, that there is a desperate time And there's also desperate measures. It gives us a day and a time. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of Kislev or in the month of November, December, here it says. In the 20th year that I was in Shushan, the citadel, he was serving in Babylon as the cupbearer of the king. And it seeks here of a specific event that takes place because as he's in Babylon, it says that Hanani, one of his brethren, came with the men of Judah, and I asked. Now, who was Hanani to Nehemiah? Hanani was one of his brothers. And Hanani had gone to now Judah or to Jerusalem. He had seen firsthand the state of the place and the state of the people. He had gone to Jerusalem, maybe, with Ezra, as Ezra led a second group over to Jerusalem. But it says here something very important that should catch our attention. Because it says here that Nehemiah, number one, asked concerning the Jews that had escaped. He asked concerning those from Babylon that had gone back to Jerusalem, those that had escaped now, who had survived the captivity concerning Jerusalem. Now, do you see here that Nehemiah, number one, has a genuine interest for people? If you want to be able to lead your family, lead in the ministry, lead others to the Lord, you have to have a genuine interest for people. Not only did he ask for those that survived or those that escaped, it also said he asked those or the state of Jerusalem. In verse 2, it tells us that. I asked concerning the Jews and concerning Jerusalem. Now, do you see that his heart is set on people And his heart is set on places. He has a heart for people and he has a heart for places. What does this tell us? That Nehemiah is a mission-minded leader. He has a heart for people and he has a heart for places now. And he's concerned about the condition now of the Jewish people in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He's 800 miles away from what was heavy on his heart, yet he still cared, and he noticed now Hannah and he had to ask, because he had a heart set on the things of God. Do you have a heart set on the things of God today? Do you see how he's ready to listen? A leader with vision must first learn to listen, then learn so that he can lead. We must listen learn and then lead notice the response they had and I said it goes on and it says this in verse three and they said to me the survivors who are left here from captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach well, is not this the condition of many believers today are in great distress and reproach. The walls of Jerusalem are also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Now they respond and said, The survivors, <laughs> those that are remaining. That's what a survivor is. Those that are remaining, those that escape. Now, survivors is not a hopeful title. <laughs> in fact, God has not called you to be a survivor. God in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, calls us more than a conqueror. God has not called you to survival, God's called you to revival. We must recognize that. But it says that these people are in great distress, they're in reproach. What does that mean? These people here are in pain. These people are in suffering. These people are in misery. They're in calamity. This is a critical situation. They're carrying a heavy burden. They're living with fear under the bondage of the enemy. But why is this happening now? Because of the problem of no protection. The problem of no protection. You know what happens when there's no protection? the enemy can come into your life. And we lack protection usually that happens because of neglect. And it says that the walls of Jerusalem are broken down. The gates are burned with fire. And I want you to realize that walls are not only to separate, but they all are also to protect. In fact, you can't keep the enemy out, which leads to disaster, without living with the walls of safety. Safety. And when the walls are broken down now, guess what happens in a city? They're now vulnerable to the attacks or the invasion now. And now the people of Jerusalem were simply giving in to the state. Now, could this be an illustration tonight for us? The walls have been broken down for a while. And we're simply just giving in to the enemy coming and taking a hold of our lives. Or simply just giving in, being oppressed by the enemy, instead of wearing the armor of God of Ephesians chapter six. I'm going to ask you tonight: Are you resisting the enemy, or are you retreating from the enemy? You're doing one of the two things when it comes to spiritual warfare: You are either resisting the enemy, or you are retreating from him. What about the walls of passionate devotion in your life tonight? What about those walls of prayer? The walls of purity in your life? The walls of of godly witness and and integrity? The walls of holiness in your marriage? The walls in the ministry that protect the people in which you serve? Why are you okay with living with broken down walls that are surrounding you? Do you see how this is such an important message today? Because the walls are broken down. When it started one day with neglect, and one neglect led to another neglect, and then the weeds of carnality began to grow through that wall, and little by little, the enemy gains free access into your life. This is why tonight, as we read Nehemiah chapter 1, we need to repair the walls that have been broken down for a long time. We need to repair those walls. Notice verse 4, what happens here because Nehemiah's response is important for us. It says, So when I heard these words, what did Nehemiah do? Was he impulsive? Was he emotional? Did he try to do something very quickly in his own strength or power? Did he try to plan out a way or a solution out of this critical situation? Did he call someone? Did he run? Notice what Nehemiah does here in verse 4 because this is an example for us. He took the time to pray. Prayer. That was his first response. That was his greatest resource. In fact, it says in verse 4, it says, when I heard these things, I sat down. I had to sit. (laughs) He had no strength left in him when he heard the situation that was taking place. I had to sit down because there was no strength left in me. And notice verse 4, it says, and I wept. I was broken. Are you broken? When was the last time you wept? Because you saw the situation that was taking place. That you wept at the need. That you looked at the lives of your family and it causes you to weep. Now notice what it says here. I wept now for many days. He was mourning. These news here that came to Nehemiah as he asked because he had an interest, notice what it did. It led to his personal brokenness. It led to his personal brokenness. Before we can have corporate brokenness, you must have personal brokenness. Revival doesn't begin... With an entire church, revival begins with one person broken. Are you going to be that person that is broken at the need? You see, Nehemiah was called to build. But first, he had to weep over the ruins. And I want to encourage you, I want to exhort you tonight that, that you do not start building until you first ask God, give me a broken heart for the need. Because without a broken heart, we are of no use to the rebuilding in the spirit. We are of no use. Now notice what else he did here in verse 4. And it says, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Not only did I weep now, but I also went to fasting and to praying now. Before the God of heaven now. This is an evidence of one thing, humility in the life of Nehemiah and dependence. Did you know that prayer and fasting, in fact, fasting is the most effective way to seek the voice and the will of God when you go into prayer and to fasting? Because what you're doing is that you're denying the flesh to wholly seek God in the spirit now, and you're tapping into those spiritual resources that he has available for you. The greatest need in your life is to be equipped through prayer and through fasting. Fasting. The Bible says, it doesn't say if you fast, it says when you fast. We need to put aside all distractions and anything that the flesh craves and desires so that we can seek the Lord fully in the spirit. And Nehemiah here in verse 4 was being equipped now with brokenness and anointing for the call. You know how you were equipped with that? With brokenness and anointing for the call? The only place where you can get equipped with that is in the waiting room of prayer. Where you go in there, and you say, Lord, I'm not coming out until I'm broken. Because I want to be used by you. You know, oftentimes we resort to programs and to methods, even to people. And we never go to prayer. But prayer is so important because that's where you go and you learn to wait on God. This is why we understand and we know that leadership begins from the knees up, when you're seeking the Lord in prayer on your knees, where you pray and you wait now. In fact, Satan can can and has effectively disarmed us as believers when he can keep us so busy doing things that we don't stop and pray. And oftentimes as believers, we think that it's okay and it's a a spiritual thing oftentimes when we're so busy. But sometimes a busy schedule can keep you away from the most important things in your life, and that's prayer. You know why prayer is important? Because it gets the job done. And before you start any work of God, you must pray. Pray. Now, you see that Nehemiah understands the need. He didn't postpone it. He didn't procrastinate. He didn't make excuses. Oftentimes, we want to make excuses or procrastinate or postpone. Here, from the brokenhearted emerges the gift of leadership in the prayer room. And Nehemiah refused to remain unbroken at the need. I pray that tonight you don't leave unbroken at the need that's taking place in your life. Nehemiah teaches us that his convictions were not watered down. And what he's saying when he's praying, broken and fasting and weeping and mourning for many days to the God of heaven, is that he's saying, I'm ready, Lord. I'm willing, Lord. I'm available. And you see that his his heart starts to soften and respond now in prayer. You know what happens when you go into prayer? It softens the hardness of your heart. And then it makes you usable. It makes you sensitive to hear the voice of God. Some of us don't know what it's like to hear the voice of God because we don't pray. I'm going to give you four points as to what prayer does quickly as we look at verse 4. But number one, prayer makes you wait. Why do we need to wait? So that we can hear from God. Number one, prayer makes you wait so that you can hear from God. Number two, prayer gives birth to vision. Prayer gives birth to vision. Why? Because your vision is only as big as your prayer time. Your vision is only as big as your prayer closet. It gives birth to vision, number two. Number three, prayer quiets your heart. Prayer quiets your heart so that you're led by the Spirit now and you're not led by emotions. It quiets your heart to listen to the voice of God and to wait on the Lord. And number four, what prayer does, it activates your faith. It sets your faith on fire to do what God called you to do. And then you begin to do all the right things that God has called you to do because you're waiting on Him and receiving from Him in prayer. You know, there's a big difference between efficiency and being effective. You know, efficiency, what it means, it means that you're doing things right. While effective means you're doing all the right things. (laughs) There are often times we think, well, I'm doing everything right. But are you doing all the right things? That's the question. Are you going to the Lord in prayer? Prayer is essential. Alan Redpath said this, prayer is essential in Christian leadership, Our vision should be so big that only through prayer God can accomplish it. If prayer isn't absolutely necessary to accomplish your vision, then the goal is not big enough. What kind of vision do you have for your life, for your family today? It was Hudson Taylor, a missionary that went from England to China. History tells us that the sun never rose 40 years in China without God finding Hudson Taylor on his knees praying for that great land. Why? Because that's how revival begins in prayer. Being consistent and being committed to prayer. Your family, our ministries, our churches are like like a machine that needs to be maintained with the oil of prayer now. And Nehemiah here was was greatly distressed of the affairs because they had not advanced for the cause of the glory of God. And he said, I'm going to be a servant in prayer because nothing is more important to God than prayer. Notice verse 5. And it says this as he's praying to the God of heaven now. Let's look at the prayer. Let's study his prayer. And it says this. And I said, I pray, Lord, God of heaven, or great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant, And mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. He was praying the covenant name of God. And he begins his prayer with worship. Oh, great and awesome God. But notice what he says. You who keep, number one, your promises, your covenants, and you who are a God of mercy or you are compassionate. Now, pay attention to this because this is the nature of God. He is a God that keeps his promises And he is a God that is compassionate, or he is a God that is filled with mercy. And this is exactly why we can come to him in prayer. But notice how he's praying now the promises of God. There is nothing better than when we go to prayer and we're holding on to the promises of God. The end of verse 5, it says this, You are full of mercy. You keep your promises to those or with those who love you and observe your commandments. Who does God keep his promises with? To those who obey his commandments. Now let's keep reading here in verse 6 because it says, please. Why does he say please? Because he's desperate now. (laughs) Please, Lord. Notice, let your ear be attentive and let your eyes be open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel. Now, do you see that he's desperate now? He wants the Lord to hear from him. And he says, Lord, let your ear be attentive. Let your eyes be open at the prayer of your servant, Lord. I'm praying night and day, God. This is a man that is seeking revival, a man that means business with God. And he's saying, Lord, listen. Lord, look now at this prayer. Ears be attentive, Lord. Let your eyes be open. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul tells the church of Thessalonica, pray without season. Pray, don't stop praying. What does Jesus tell us in Luke 18 verse 1? Pray and don't lose heart. Pray and don't lose heart. Why? Because the Lord is the specialist that we need for those uncrossable and impossible situations in our life. But notice what he's praying for. In verse 6 at the end it says, I pray before you now day and night For the children of Israel. How does your prayer closet look when it comes to praying for your children? Or for the people of God, for the church? Because he comes in prayer and he says here, your servants. And look what his prayer consists of. These are your servants. And he comes not to complain, but he comes to confess. Do you hear the situation that's taking place like this? Oftentimes what we want to do is complain. (laughs) But what Nehemiah does is he comes and he confesses now the sin of what's taking place. We've been unfaithful, God. This is why the walls are broken down. In fact, he goes on and he says, And confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. Underline that part in your Bible, please, church. Both my father's house and I have sinned. He doesn't say they have sinned. He includes himself. I have sinned as well. How have they sinned? Verse 7, it says, We have acted very corruptly against you. We've corrupted ourselves because we didn't obey your commandments. We corrupted ourselves because we were disobedient to your word. You know what this teaches us? That disobedience corrupts. It corrupts your life. It breaks down the walls of protection of spiritual devotion. And what Nehemiah is saying here is that, Lord, I'm not only wanting to be a part of the answer, I'm confessing I am part of the problem. <laughs> Are you able to come to the Lord and confess that tonight? Lord, I'm confessing that I don't want to be only a part of the answer. I am also a part of the problem. Why? Because he has a burden. It's been said before that a hundred people with a burden are better than a thousand without. Do you have a burden tonight? Here he's taking personal responsibility. He doesn't want someone else to do what God has called him to do, but he comes with a heart of confession, with a heart of repentance, claiming the promises of God, making himself available to be a part of the answer, and he comes in humility. Why? Because God is attracted to humility. God's attracted to humility. In James 4, 6, it tells us that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You see why this is important? God will not fill you with his presence if you're already filled with yourself. You have to be emptied. And we're learning here through chapter 1 that revival is never without repentance. Revival is never without humility. Revival is never without brokenness. Now, Nehemiah was not only a man of prayer, he was also a man of the Word of God. Because it says here in verse 8, he quotes now and he refers to Scripture. He was a man of prayer in the Word of God. And he quotes a promise of God. This is a twofold promise. And it says this, verse 8, Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. That's the beginning of that promise that the Lord gave in Deuteronomy to Moses that if the nation of Israel or the people of God were unfaithful, that God would scatter them among the nations. That was the consequence. A scattering. That you would be outside of his will, outside of his presence, outside of his covering of protection. But notice in verse 9, but if you return. This is amazing. If you return, there is hope in the second part of that promise. (laughs) If you return to me, notice this, and keep my commandments, or if you return and obey them and do them and live by them, notice this, even though some of you were cast out even to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. What a beautiful promise for us tonight. Even though you were cast out, even though you were scattered now, even though you were out of the will of God, God will gather you if you return and bring you back to the place where he has chosen as a dwelling place for his name. What the Lord is saying here, I will bring you back into my presence now. The word of God says that it doesn't matter how far the setback is, There's always a comeback if we return to God. If we return to God. How can we return? We must first repent and return. You see, the secret to great power is to pray here. And Nehemiah is teaching us to pray now the promises of God. You know that there's nothing that honors the Lord more than when you go into your prayer closet and you are praying the promises of God and you're saying, Lord, in your word, it says this. This is what your word says about you. Now, verse 10, it goes on, and says, now these are your servants. He's humbling himself. And your people whom you have redeemed. Lord, you redeemed us. You gave us already freedom from bondage. But notice, this is amazing here as it comes up in verse 10. Whom you have redeemed by your great power, circle that, and your strong hand. There it is, the strong hand of God. (laughs) Every work of God begins with His great power and His strong hand. We want to be those. They're always asking the Lord to go before us with his great power and with his strong hand. Lord, with your great power and with your strong hand, work in my marriage, work in our children, work in our churches. Lord, bring revival, bring repentance, but let it be with your great power and with your strong hand. We need the great power and the strong hand of God. And he says, verse 11, as we continue to read, O Lord, I pray, please let your ears be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants. Second time, please let your ear be attentive to your servant and to your servants. We come, Lord, broken because we need you. Now notice what he says with a desire. Who desire to fear your name. Who desire to fear your name. Is there anything that you desire today that is outside of fearing his name? Do you desire to fear his name? Lord? we desire to fear your name. In fact, he says this as he continues. And let your servant prosper.'" Speaking of himself, oh Lord, I put myself in your hand. Let me have success, Lord. Bless me now. Notice what he says here. This day I pray again. Lord, I pray that you would give me favor, that you would grant me grace, Lord, that you would bless me now, grant me mercy. Notice what he says here. And mercy in the sight of this man. Why? For I was the king's cupbearer. What is he about to do? He's about to do something that cupbearers don't do. <laughs> he was about to go to the king, or Xerxes, a king that was known that no one can change his mind, a king that was known through history that no one can change what he said and his ways. And the king was not going to be a bit happy about Nehemiah wanting to go and restore those walls. And he says, "Pray, I pray, Lord, that you give me favor, because I'm the king's cupbearer." He was a cupbearer with a heart for God, by vocational. <laughs> Ask yourself, what are you today? A teacher with a heart for God, a mother with a heart for God, a husband with a heart for God, a mechanic with a heart for God. That God wants to use tonight. But do you have a heart for God? You can call yourself whatever you want, but do you have a heart to pray? And we start to see here that before any activity, there was meaningful solitude that was preparing him now for the need. Oftentimes, there's too much working and not enough waiting. And he's saying, Lord, you give me favor before the sight of this man. This is amazing here what Nehemiah does. Because he's saying, Lord, only you can change the heart of that man. Are you making the mistake of trying to change someone else's heart instead of letting the Lord do it? You can't change anyone's heart. Only the Lord can. You can't change the heart of your prodigal son or daughter. You can't change the heart of the husband or the wife that needs the Lord. Only the heart, only the Lord can. The only thing that we can do and we're called to do is to go to the Lord in prayer. And for four months, he did nothing but faithfully behind the scenes pray. He faithfully bombarded the throne of God. You know what he was saying? Lord, either you take this burden from me or you show me how to be the man to answer this burden. Because I know that we need restoration. I know that we need renewal. When I have the worship team come forward, After having read Nehemiah chapter 1 and knowing that God wants to rebuild, knowing that God wants to restore, but we know that that all comes at the expense of one thing, of brokenness, of repentance, of humility. In fact, it will not happen without it. We need brokenness from the Lord. We need to ask the Lord to empty us so that he can fill us with himself. And like Nehemiah said, Lord, yes, we've been unfaithful to you, but your word says that no matter how far we have gone, that if we repent and that if we just return, Lord, that you will bring us back into your presence and we will have fellowship once again. And the reconstruction, the renovation, the restoration will begin. What I want to ask you tonight do you want the Lord to restore your family, your marriage? You want him to restore that need that you've been wrestling with all your life. Maybe there's something that's heavy on your heart that you know that you've tried to fix many times and you've tried to fix this person and change that person, but you realize that you can't do anything, that it's only the Lord that can change that person's heart. And the one thing that we need, desperately so need, the one thing that we so desperately need is brokenness. You know what the opposite of brokenness is? Pride. And God doesn't anoint pride. God doesn't bless pride. God blesses brokenness because he can use the broken man and woman that has a heart for him. So if you're here tonight and you're saying, I need the Lord to give me strength through the power of the Holy Spirit to rebuild those walls of devotion, of prayer, Those walls in my marriage of protection, of holiness, of integrity in my life as a man. Of integrity as a woman of the Lord. But I know only the Lord can do it. As he does it in brokenness. We're going to sing this song. And as we sing this song, I want you to just stand up on your feet. And we're going to ask the Lord for brokenness tonight. And I want you to come on forward tonight. Because God wants to do some brokenness in our life. How many of you guys believe that? Amen. Let's go ahead and sing this song. Stand up and come forward. God wants to do brokenness. If you want brokenness in your life today, if you want the Lord to rebuild, to restore, to renew, to revive, just stand up and come forward. In Psalms 51, it says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. God will not now reject or despise. These, oh God, you won't despise. God desires the sacrifices of brokenness. And so many of us today have come, going through the motions, coming with a heavy heart, with a hard heart that God cannot use, that God cannot bless. And he wants to restore, but he's first looking for a man and a woman that's saying, Lord, I'm willing to sit here to fast and to pray and to be broken at the need. Because the truth is that there is a need. And only God can change that need. How many of you guys believe that? Just come on forward. There's more of you out there that want some brokenness tonight. We're going to sing this song. And as we do sing this song, come forward because God wants to do something special tonight as we are at the altar. Some of us haven't been at the altar for a while. You know what the altar is? It's the place of surrender. It's the place where you say, Lord, I surrender all my life to you. It's the place where you say, I lay my life to you. We draw close to you. Let's sing this song.